You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the conservative conscience. And welcome back to the conservative conscience. Indeed, your only truly independent conservative source of news and views on what actually matters to conservatives, to constitutionalists, that eschews all groupthink, where we actually think for ourselves. Um, so much going on today. My brain is exploding beyond belief as I work on one issue and get deep into it. Then the GOP capitulates and betrays us on another issue, and I go to that, and it's another issue. I honestly don't have the resources to deal with this, um, so we're going to try to do our best here. Between the insane farm bill, the insane ignoring of our immigration crisis, Trump is trying to speak to it to his credit. Will he follow through with his threat? I still doubt it, but we'll see. Um, I think he was pretty good today. And then, of course, jailbreak. Nothing gets in the way of the juggernaut jailbreak, which is just unbelievable. I have no words. I'm running, I mean, I'm running out of, I'm running out of adjectives to describe the profundity of this betrayal. I mean, if you think about it, we have an immigration crisis, we have a drug crisis, we have a gang crisis, we have a healthcare problem, we have a debt problem. I could go on endlessly with these things. And then the judiciary problem, separation of powers issues. And the one issue that they are willing to pull all levers and get Fox poor news, which controls all conservative thought, which is an extreme moral hazard, and I want to get to that in a minute, get them to support this, demand everyone get on the same page, and then, and then guess what? This is the one issue for which they are willing to stay in even after Christmas. You know, Christmas trumps everything. The Christmas break, they are not, you know, they don't want to be away for the Christmas break. I mean, they want to be home, right? So they'll capitulate on everything. They'll give the Democrats everything they want on budget in order to get out of town. But now, these disgusting outside pressure groups, all of the GOP donors and masterminds at Fox News and the Koch brothers, which are the two biggest cancers on the conservative movement in this country, are forcing their hand. McConnell, to his credit, He's been bad on everything else. This is one issue that he felt was stupid to bring up. You know, his hand is being forced. So now they're pushing this revised bill. Now, I was sitting and trying to write an explainer on how bad the farm bill is when I had to stop doing that and get to this because they resurrected it from the dead as they always do. But in order to set the table, I want to discuss with you so-called conservative media, the need for independent voices, and what's going on here. And in order to do that, I need to first address something a little bit more personal on a corporate level, um, because a lot of that's been written online, a little bit in the media, and I've been getting some emails and messages about this. There are several... There's a lot of personalities associated with CRTV even before the merger, certainly now. And there are several people that are no longer with CRTV now. One conglomerate of Blaze Media merged. And a lot of people are making assumptions and asking me questions like, oh, well, did you guys become like Fox 2 where you fire you know, people that are too, you know, I don't know, too uh, edgy or, you know, or willing to speak the truth. And let me just say from the onset, whenever you're talking about HR um, outcomes of a company, 
you know, it's it's very specific. It's very legal in nature, and I'm not. I I can't comment on a lot of this. And frankly, I don't know any of the details. Um, nor does it really affect me the way this organization is set up. So I'm not going to spend my time trying to find out. Um, but what I can tell you is this: everything that happens in a political organization, whether it's media, whether it's a think tank or anything, because everything's politics, people automatically think that anything that happens organizationally is political. Oh, this guy was too far to the right, or this guy was too, like, very simplistic. And often it's just, you know, it's like any other corporation. You have decisions, you have people where they move on to different jobs. It was, you know, they found a better position. They couldn't come to terms on salary they wanted to focus on a certain purview whereas the co- company wanted to focus on something else and it wasn't it wasn't so much right or left or political or didn't want the guy i'm not addressing any specific person here but i'm just saying you have to consider those things as very likely because i've had this happen to me oh and just one other thing often you know i i'll never forget one time there was a certain article i saw um just on twitter people are saying this article is is down at conservative review. You can't get a hold of it now. Look, I click here. Um, they must have taken it down. I forgot what it was. They but you know they thought there was like a political reason. And really, I was like, hey, well, I'm glad you pointed it out. It was just you know there was a bug in the website. <laughs> it was just you know sometimes there's stuff like that. So you know people will make assumptions. Oh, this person was fired. This person, I I don't know that to be true. And I am almost positive it's it's not really true. Um, but I don't know, so I don't want to speculate, nor could I even if I did know, and you have to understand that. Um, but you have to trust me that this doesn't affect me, and and you know when I said we're going to be an independent voice um, and the merger didn't hurt that, if anything, it helped it, that is still true. Um, you know, One time I in a previous job, I moved on, and I had this same thing where people are like, he Daniel got booted because you know they didn't want to hear a guy who was tough on immigration, and it was so frustrating because you know I didn't want to talk about internal affairs, but it just wasn't true. I left because we we're starting a new project, which eventually became Conservative Review, um, just because I was moving on to bigger, better things, and that's the thing: people quit. They quit for good reasons. They quit because of frustration. They quit. Because of salary, they can't come to terms of agreement on a contract. It's like any other business. So, you know, just don't assume anything, um, which it just surprises me that people automatically assume that. And I get it because you think everyone's selling out and you think, well, this is indicative of that too. Um, but no, uh, you know, no one is silencing my voice here. And, you know, in fact, they're looking for ways to expand it. So that's still good. But, Speaking of the need for truly independent voices, I just want to talk about the moral hazard of Fox News. Yet today, there was an oversight hearing in the House of Representatives on Google. They had Google executives in, and just this whole issue of the major platforms, Google obviously owns YouTube, and you got Facebook and Twitter all trying to squelch conservative voices and you know this fear that they basically have a kill shot in the palm of their hands on all conservative thought, right? That's the concern that conservatives had. And therefore, a lot of people want to regulate, and you know, that's a whole discussion I'm not going to get into now. What I'm shocked at how people don't talk about a bigger issue is the kill shot that Fox News has in their hands. See, at least with the others, everyone knows they're transparently liberal. Fox News has in the palm of their hands a monopoly on the conservative audience. Everyone I know, they, they turn in, tune into Fox News. They think that's it. That's the end all. Every conservative who gets anywhere, they buy them out and offer them either a contributorship or a show. Anyone who is trying to move up aspires to that position. So basically, we have put all our eggs in the basket of Fox. And you guys already know how decrepit they are. See, CNN and MSNBC and New York Times and AP exist to tell conservatives, you are fecal matter. Fox exists to tell us that water on you, I'm sorry, that fecal matter on you, that's really water. It's good for you. It's conservative. 
That is a lot more destructive. I could not have thought of anything more subversive. If you wanted to have a kill shot on conservatives more so than Google, it's Fox News. Doping them up on stupidity, getting them to support liberal things under the guise of conservatism, promoting anchor babies, promoting Khashoggi, everything they do on that stupid, decrepit network. They can go to hell for all I care. And it's kind of like the Muslim Brotherhood's doctrine of subverting the infidel by, and, and Western civilization by its own miserable hands. It's a kind of um, a paraphrase of the explanatory document that was seized by federal agents in a Muslim bro's house in, the, in 1990 where it explained their, their mission. That is Fox News if you understand it. It's the perfect kill shot on conservatism. See, you have to realize, especially with Roger Ailes dead, it's not even run by establishment good old boy Republicans. I mean, the, the Murdochs, the, they're, they're total leftists like anyone else. It's not even like rhinoism. They're total leftists. But let's say you're a bunch of leftists and you inherit a business model that's all built off of people on the right. So obviously you can't come out in the open and like, you know, in three days have people like Rachel Maddow getting shows and saying how, you know, openly conservatives are horrible people. Then obviously you'll lose your network and you're done. So what they did, they're very smart. See, a lot of people don't realize like, well, you know, I understand foxes and everything you like, Daniel, but what do you mean that they're liberal? But that's the genius. The people behind it are liberal. The owners are liberal. I mean, that's a fact. What they do is they gradually acculturate people. They, they turn up the, the heat on the boiling frog so we don't realize it, and they gradually rope us into their thing, and that's what they're doing with the jailbreak stuff. That's why CNN didn't officially endorse it. I'm sure, sure they like it, but Fox was the only group to endorse this. They have Jared go on Sean Hannity's show last night to promote it. That is what's happening with Fox News. And so now, let's say you are one guy that really doesn't feel comfortable with the jailbreak agenda, but you're a Fox contributor. I know a lot of people like that. You're a Fox talk show host. You aspire to get on Fox. Are you going to speak out against this? No. That's an automatic kill shot. Fox News is doing to conservatives. What the liberal media and the liberal Silicon Valley platforms could never fully do. And that is get us to promote their agenda under our flag. This is the Orwellian perfidy that we're dealing with. And again, th this is not some big conspiracy. Everyone knows who the Murdochs are. They don't share a single one of our values. They just happen to be sitting on a network that has exclusively an audience of conservatives. So they have to operate as such. You know, you understand that. I mean, if, if, if tomorrow the demographics would change, then they would openly change what they're doing. So that's what's going on with that. I just wanted you guys to understand. I mean, Tucker Carlson was the only guy a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, before this bill was really a big deal and it was a real legislative threat, it was more conceptual. Tucker, you know, did a segment like, what, what are we doing? What, what a stupid thing amidst the drug crisis is what you're doing? Like, what, what are you guys doing? And then I was wondering why, so then why was he so silent once it became a bigger issue? And, you know, then, you know, now it's really news and everyone's talking about it. Why are you silent? Well, I think you know the answer now. You know, I'm sure most of you in the audience, I think, tend to like Tucker and think that he is more of an outside type of voice, different way of thinking, more along our lines here. Not as many details, obviously, but, you know, fresh approach. But even someone like him, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, he's, he's stifled. You look at Laura Ingram. Go down the primetime uh, lineup. Her whole career was a law and order conservative. Sean Hannity with the law enforcement and everything. And now he totally flipped because Kushner got to him, because Fox got to him and all the, the powers. 
So this is what you have there. This is the true danger that nobody wants to talk about because they're too scared to talk about it. We're going to talk about it here. So anyway, what are they doing with the jailbreak? This is why you have to understand policy to understand politics. You have to understand politics to understand policy. You have to understand a full array of policies and legislative strategies, and you have to understand the political players behind them. Politics is not an Amelia Bedelia narrow look at a specific bill or text or wording or statute. It's, an, it's not a science. It's not a math. It's an art. And I'm going to teach you a very common, one of the most true and tried successful legislative tactics. I call it the overdrafting strategy. What they do is they take a piece of legislation on an issue that is it's fundamentally repugnant. It's not a matter that there's like 20, 30, 40 enumerated specific problems with it. It's that the entire focus we need to be doing the exact opposite. It's it's terrible. It's coming from a bad place. It's headed to a bad place. It's like if I say, how much amnesty are you willing to do now? How do you get to yes on amnesty? Well, wh- wh- what do you mean? Well, we need enforcement now. Just the opposite. Like why are you talking about any amnesty now? Similar thing. So we need criminal justice reform. Uh, you know, let out people from federal prison. So they take something that's fundamentally flawed. But then they, they have a way of messaging it. But then what they do is they draft it initially in a way that overshoots even their messaging. So they'll say, you know, we're doing amnesty, but it's only these people, and you have to do this, and these criminals won't get it, and these people won't get it. Same thing here. Uh, these people won't get the leniency. It's only the guy that was just accidentally one time at a dime bag of marijuana, and he was locked up for 175 years. And, like, you know, but then, but then they purposely overdrafted that even – if you allow for their lying premises and their lying philosophy behind what is low level and what's not, it blatantly just totally has the loophole straight up in there where it allows the high level ones, even under your system, to get the leniencies, whether it's amnesty or in this case, um, early release and, and uh, avoiding the mandatories and the safety valve. Right? That that's that's how it works. Now they do that on purpose. And, and it's it's really a classic negotiation tactic of starting out with more than you want to get. So then the opponents are busy expending all of their bullets, all of their political capital, trying to prove these extra points, meaning aside that foundationally the bill is wrong, but the extra things. Now, to begin with, they build tremendous support. And they wear everyone down on the outside, all the you know people that operate where I am, and then all on the inside, all the elected Republicans that aren't really comfortable with it. So it's it's a brave stand to begin with. Even the bad bill, the worst bill, they really have to expend all their political capital to be willing to stand with it. Then what they do is it's the overdraft stratagem together with the wearing down stratagem. The wearing down stratagem is like this, where let, let's say I write a bill, all illegals have the right to rape four Americans. So then I'm like, and you're like, what? This is terrible. This is a, I'm like, okay, how do we get you to yes? Now, freeze frame. The right approach at that point is to step back and say, wait a minute. How do you get to yes on our agenda? How do you get to yes on Trump's promise? of stiffening penalties on drug trafficking, getting rid of the transnational cartels and gangsters responsible for this, the death penalty in some cases is Trump promised. You get to, yes, on us, how to ensure that, that, that uh, fewer people get out of convictions for, for murder and other things. Then let's talk about leniencies. Right? That, that, that should be the approach. But again, the members are scared. So like, okay, okay, I want this and this, and they give them lists. And I've learned this in the past. I, I've dealt with members that did this, and it's a huge mistake. You never want to do that because then they got you. Then you're desperate. You want to get to yes. Oh, my gosh. I so badly I'm, – I'm standing on the outs here. Oh, my gosh. How long could I hold this up, hold my finger in the dike? The pressure is too strong. Okay, just, just give me something I can hang my hat on. And then what they do, they give you something to hang your hat on. Let's say there's 30 things. They'll take three things. One of them they'll fix. Two of them they'll indulge. 
in a talking point but won't really fix it, but it's enough that you feel uncomfortable still opposing it. Because then it's like, huh? Huh, Daniel? Daniel, are you still going to oppose it? Are you that intransigent? Do you not want to be productive at all? Do you just want to say no? And, and, and meanwhile, they're defining the landscape of what's productive and what, what we should be focusing on to begin with. And that's how they get them sucked in. And then these members are like, no, 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 okay, I, I support it, I support it. And then, and then they turn to the remaining. So now the few people that were initially opposing it are now really divided in half. Now they turn to the remaining few. Huh, see, even, even he supports it now. What's with you? It, it, and, and then that, that's the beauty of the overdraft. Mixed with, um, you know, this whittling down pressure cooker. That's what they, that's what they do to you. I'll, I'll never forget, and, you know, if we have time, we're going to talk about the farm bill today. When they had the last five-year farm bill in 2014, um, you know, Stalin had his five-year plans. This is literally Stalinist, like just straight-up price-fixing, distorting the market for land, land use, crop use. Raising prices, boxing out small farmers and upstarts from the business, creating monopolies, um, raising the cost of um, of food, just horrible, horrible stuff. But Congressman Marlon Stutzman from Indiana was very committed to saying, "Okay, we finally need to separate food stamps from from agriculture, so you don't have this ideological log rolling where you have the urban and rural interests that get together and then grow everyone's government, and we can't – politically, it's a juggernaut. You can't break it. So House leadership came to him and said, we gave you the split. We split it, and really it was a lie. It was a stratagem just to get to conference, and yada-da-da, told to this very day. <laughs> the irony is five years later, it's not even under discussion to split it up. Um, and, and he knew they were lying to him. But he just didn't feel he like, what am I going to do? I mean, you know, I just don't have a leg to stand on to keep opposing it. And he support, and you know, he, he gave in. And this happened. This happens on a number of issues. J- just to give you guys a little insider insight, that's how the swamp works. And that's the beauty of the timing of this revised bill along with getting Fox News to come out and do their thing. Maximum pressure. And then finally, so the news today is that McConnell relented and said, look, you know, we'll give it to you, but, you know, you got to be willing to work through Christmas. He's still trying to, you know, slow walk it, but, you know, this, this thing's a runaway train. Now, what exactly the bill does and doesn't do now I'm losing my voice here because I've been like yelling on the phone all day about all sorts of stuff to friends and allies and trying to to work things out. But just so you get a general sense of where we are on the jailbreak bill before we get into the specifics, this gets into the another part of what they do and the messaging that we need to combat this. The so-called fixes they make, first of all, it's a draft, it's a discussion draft. There's no formal legislation. Like put it out there. But what they're doing is they keep playing hide the ball. It's all a theoretical thing. It's not posted on the Senate Judiciary website. It's the old bill there. They keep trying to change it and play hide the ball and then just slam it on the floor in the last minute and you know before anyone could rally opposition to it. That's how scared they are of having a real protracted debate over every aspect of this issue. The fixes to the jailbreak bill are not enough to prevent the grave consequences. They fundamentally don't change anything, but they're half-assed enough to serve as a self-indictment of those promoting the stuff, unfixed originally, and who would deny that their original problems were even in the bill. See what I mean? Meaning what they do is they, they take out certain things that they swore upside they swore forever it's not there, that we had to expend our political capital saying they're in there, and they said, you're lying, it's not there. Oh, whoops, now it's there. Oh, you're still going to say no? Well, wait a minute. Now that we're, you're proved, proved to be lying on that part, why don't you fix the other parts that you're lying about too, buddy? That needs to be the messaging here. But again, most members are scared. So that's that's the beauty of this bill. It doesn't fundamentally change anything. 
it takes the absolute worst provisions that we didn't even discover until the very end anyway, and they'll change those. But the problem is that by changing those, it's a self-indictment of what they've been doing until now, and it basically agrees to our premise, well, if that's a problem, then the rest of your thing is fundamentally the same problem. I'll get to some of the specifics in a minute. Just want to get back to one point on the politics. So, so Ted Cruz is the big player here. He's one of the ones I'm talking about. They got Ted P- Cruz, Steve Daines, David Perdue to relent. Now, what happened was a classic thing. Ted Cruz put forth an amendment idea. Again, th- there's no legislative floor fight. So this is all like discussion draft. It's not real. They're not real bills. And he should never have done that. He played their game. And... What they did is then – so Cruz did a watered-down version of what really we should be doing, and then they just put a watered-down version of his watered-down version and said, all right, Ted, we gave you what you want. Thank you, Ted, for helping us fix this bill. So now he feels obliged to, to, to do it. Now, the old Ted Cruz would have never done this. Just so you know, Ted Cruz and committee voted twice against just the sentencing part of the bill, even without the early release part, and, this, and that's not even fixed at all in this bill. So, you know, I'm not the one that needs to answer, well, Daniel, why are you opposing it if Ted supported it? Well, why is Ted changing? Ted is a changed man. I'm sorry to tell you this. Jeff Rowe and all the whores running his shop, horrible staff now, all the good guys, alumni will tell you this. And at its core, this bill and the stratagem of overdrafting speaks to the very rehabilitation that he's trying to create. He's trying to rehabilitate himself as a doer. I'm trying to be constructive. And that's exactly what he did here. And that's why, meaning all of the, this inferiority complex that he developed since Trump destroyed him, this strategy of overdrafting speaks to it. Because he's the most vulnerable member to that now. He badly wants to look like he's fixing things. When you can't fix stupid, you can't fix a bill designed to let out federal drug traffickers at a time like this. There's nothing to fix. There's nothing to fix about that. But, but he felt, it's like, fix an amnesty bill. No. Let's do a sovereignty bill. Let's be tougher. No. Go to hell. We're not doing this. But, you know, no one wants to look like that because we don't have a critical mass giving a vision for what we want. So they're the only ones giving a vision, which is the left-wing vision. So we go along with it. I know his his counsel and le- ledge team opposes this, but the political, more political members associated with him, staffers, you know, pushed him into it. But, you know, Ted's guilty of it himself. He's a smart man. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give it to you 100 proof. This is what's happening. I'm just going to say it straight up. I'm not going to lie about it. So anyway, what it does is, here's a beautiful example. Remember when I apologized to you, maybe it was last week, I said, I undersold how bad this bill is. I said, until now, we spent months explaining that what they designate as low-level are all these gangbangers, often foreign nationals, La Raza Nation, Latina Kings, 18th Street Gang, MS-13, all these transnational cartels, Jalisco, New New Generation, um, that are involved with the drug trafficking that are solely responsible for all of this. So often, they're only charged on just regular drug trafficking or firearms trafficking, even though they're total, the worst scum of the earth. They're literally the animals that Trump referred to. And they consider them low level. So much of this stuff is pled down. This is what we've been talking about for months. But then we discover the provision, the bill, that was straight up worse. It blatantly allowed the high level, even the ones that they designate as high level. And let me tell you, for the jailbreak cartel to designate as high level, you got to be pretty bad. Um, they're eligible for early release. Okay? As well as the sentencing reduction for the drug mandatories. So, 
you know, they denied up and down. Shut up. You're lying. It's not true. You know, up and down, they were, they were saying that. Shut up. You know, everyone's spreading misinformation about this. And all that sort of garbage. All that utter garbage. Now, they say, you know what? You're right. We got everyone on board now. We got everyone to support. We have a really the Goldilocks bill. We fixed it. You know what they did? Now they explicitly write in the bill that medium and high-level offenders that are designated, meaning, again, this is all subjective. It's how they designate them. Um, which is not defined in the bill. It's open to, you can imagine, a future Democrat administration, which nobody is talking about, the runaway train that's going to happen, what they're going to do with this bill if they're in power. But those guys, you're right, they're not eligible. But you know what? Even they are eligible for home confinement. So again, if you remember, they get 15 days for every 30 days served, so roughly a third of their term they could serve in home confinement. So until now, they could have gotten straight up parole and been released or home confinement, now it's only home confinement or halfway house. The low level is still straight up release, and again, these are all your drug traffickers, but let's say you're a total like terrorist and murderer, um, then it's home confinement, <laughs> but not um, straight up, you know, it's just straight up full parole, full, full uh, supervised parole. So um, now you're explicitly admitting more so than before, what you said wasn't in the bill is now in the bill, and that's your revised better bill. Classic example. And by the way, do you understand? This bill lets out 4,000 immediately, and then staggeringly every six months, 12 months, 18 months, over the course of the next few years, tens of thousands of people early. Because a lot of there's a wall, people are going to get out anyway. Yeah, but it's a numbers game. It's the numbers and how early it compounds it. No one explained, and the sheriffs and local law enforcement have put out letters on this. What is that going to do to these communities? You have so many people in home confinement that are the most dangerous El Chapo type of dr drug traffickers, and God knows what else is in federal prison more than state prison. You put them in home confinement, and the bill doesn't appropriate any resources. It's, home confinement's already a joke. You burden the home confinement system with tens of thousands more without a – this is not a serious piece of legislation. And then the other thing is like the sex offenders. It's not even all of them, but they fix like a lot of that and they denied it. Remember, stop lying, Tom Cotton. It doesn't say that. So remember, the flaw of the bill is the same fundamental thing, that it's a catch-all baseline and then it just makes exceptions if you're not eligible, whereas it should be the opposite. Just target those that you want to get the leniencies. Whoops, they can't do it because they would have to articulate who is low level and they don't really exist in federal prison, especially in this day and age where they're only, you know, where – there's a stigma against locking people up for drugs. No one's doing it, especially on a federal level. These are bad guys they're going after. So all they do is just add more exceptions. But there's still tons. That, remember, if you're not included in the exceptions, you get it. That's the danger of doing something like this. You need to audit what is in the federal prison, and I have to understand the consequences of this. How do you shove a bill like this on the floor? without having a hearing on this. But, you know, nothing. Nothing. This is what we're dealing with. This is the one hill that they're willing to die on. The one issue that Republicans were good on for two generations. You know, George H.W. Bush just passed away, everyone was talking about the Willie Horton ad. That's what it meant to be a Republican, even a Rockefeller, George H.W. Bush type of Republican. Now, we are all Willie Horton. That's what it means to be a conservative, because Fox News said so. That's, that's where it is. I don't know what to tell you guys, but I'm not going to lie to you. That's one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to protect anyone. Too many of you are looking for like, Daniel, but why this guy? Isn't this guy good? 
I don't blame anyone in particular. It's, this is what we mean when we say the swamp. The wheels churn in a certain way, and it grinds people down. And unless and until you have some sort of critical mass willing to speak out against this, we're done. We are totally done. So that's what's happening on the jailbreak front. And this is the moral hazard with all of the people bought out by Fox or the Cokes, which is almost everyone, literally almost everyone. And this is going to reverberate, I promise you, on many, many other issues. All righty, before we get to the farm bill in our next segment here, just want to comment on Trump's blow up with Chuck and Nancy today over the border. He says, I don't care. I'll just say it straight up. I'll shut the government down. Now, I don't think that's the best message. I would say I demand that the House pass my bill, and I would say you people are shutting down the government because what is a government at a federal level if not to protect the sovereignty of us all and go on to the drugs and everything? But look, hey, at least he's talking tough. We'll see how this happens next week. I mean, I think we're at the point where he needs to prove himself. You know, all things equal, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. Because it's like Lucy in the football. We've seen this eight different times. <clears throat> so, uh, now obviously, this is literally the last time with trifecta control. Although, as I've explained before, there's arguments to make that you might have even more leverage when Pelosi is in charge of the House. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and what they're doing on there. But also, oh, one thing before, again, before I do get to the farm bill here, it's important to recognize, you know, just back to just corporate stuff. When you see people, different personalities, talk show hosts leaving I'm just seeing on Twitter right now, and I have not spoken to him. I don't know anything about this, so don't ask me. But I'm just, this is a perfect example. Dan Bongino has announced he's leaving NRA TV. He has a TV show. He had me on a couple times, um, a nightly show, evening show, whatever it was, like late afternoon. And all sorts of stuff. Oh, you know, the NRA. And and look, you know, I have my issues with them. But they squished out. They thought Bongino was too much of a loose cannon. And they're squishing out. They didn't want him there. And, you know, Bongino just retweeted a statement from the NRA, meaning, you know, so he agrees to it, that they basically said, look, you know, we love Dan. We were trying to retain him all year. We worked all we can to retain him, but it just didn't work out. You know, meaning whatever it was, whatever they wanted to offer, you know, Bongino didn't want to take it, and it, they left on good terms. I mean, so, you know, again, I just keep that in mind. I need you guys to keep that in mind. Don't assume the worst every time. You're dealing with personalities and a lot of different variables. You got to understand that. Farm bill. The farm bill is the Obamacare of agriculture. On, on, on a very deep level that maybe some of you guys don't realize, those of you with experience in farming certainly do realize this. This is a $900 billion boondoggle where, again, most of it, you know, $700 billion or so is food stamps. And that's basically the same built-in baseline of food stamps that we've been spending money on for so long. Trump promised a 30% cut by reforming the program to give people – USDA, literally food packages rather than giving them EBT cards to buy. Um, and so much for that. They never fought for for a minute. They never fought for, you know, clamping down on states with the fraud. The work requirements obviously were fake to begin with. And then even the fake ones that were in the House bill, they went with the Senate version. So that's with the food stamps. So we're going to continue spending $70 billion a year to get, what, like 43 million people on this program. As far as the agriculture subsidies, so um, government subsidizes, distorts, monopolizes price fixes like Stalin in like 10 different ways. 
there's the general insurance. There's the two new programs they created for price fixing and shallow loss, price loss coverage, PLC and ARC. What is it? Uh, agriculture risk coverage they created in the last farm bill. Um, it, there's the conservation programs. There's the marketing promotion. There's research programs. There's marketing loans. There's disaster aid. There's all sorts of ways that you would never do these things based on a, on a market, based on the best science of farming, based on the needs of the agricultural market, the food market, the country at large. It is all the swampiest part of the swamp. It's all parochial favors for the wealthiest corporate farms. Let's use healthcare as our baseline to understand. We've explained many times how government subsidization regulation market distortions in healthcare like the medicaid program it's not just a matter oh it's too costly it's not good for the debt it's worse than that it's that it creates a private monopoly for a few groups of healthcare administrator conglomerates that then merge and acquire merge and acquire merge and acquire box out all competition, destroy private practice doctors, and then make it that anyone coming out of medical school now, the only the the giant sucking sound there, the only way to success is to go towards that and join the cartel rather than start your own thing. It's a government created monopoly. Government created monopoly. Now that so that, that that's obvious. The farm bill is no different. What it does is it creates a monopoly, right? Creates a monopoly for the most, for really the wealthiest, most well-connected conglomerates. I was joking around with a friend, and I think you know anyone who's into farming will know this, and I don't claim to be an expert on the subject by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to reach a point where there's going to be 20 farmers in a given state. <laughs> that, that, that's what it is, just, just like MedStar could own everything in one area. That's, what, that's how pernicious the cascading effects of not having the best market practices, organic consumer demand, and science driving decisions, but random government subsidies of, of picking winners and losers, what they do and what they don't, creates a cascading effect of distorting crop use, what type of crops you plant, land usage, because certain land needs certain crops, and based on the subsidies that government gives to only those crops, will then drive the market, not because there's a need, but because that's where the money is. They'll drive it through the subsidies, they'll drive it through the insurance, and by the way, so now with these price loss coverage, they call it cover shallow loss. It's kind of like what government did to insure health insurance. Again, let's use a healthcare analogy. Just like you have car insurance and homeowners insurance, they're not perfect, but they work genuine generally well because they're not so distorted by the government. So they kind of work like insurance. There's no reason medical care can't work like that, but it doesn't because government ensured that government controls every aspect of it and created a private monopoly. So it's a dumpster fire. So you would have a totally actuarially solvent farm insurance program, but government took it over. So it's all based on what government does. So all of its vices are downhill from there and it creates you know, the typical cycle of government. So according to the Congressional Research Service, 94% of farm subsidies go to six commodities and 46% just to corn. A lot of that's the – plus you have the ethanol mandate mandating that we need it in our – forget about food. You need it in your fuel supply. So what that did is it created a cascading effect of people buying land all for corn, right? And, and by the way, one other thing. These six commodities, I think they're um gosh, I'm forgetting. I don't have it offhand here. It's it's corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts. I'll I'll think of the other two. Um 
but it's for six crops. 94%. Yet they're only account for 27% of the output value of all farming. Okay, that is one data point. I want you guys to uh, take with you from this show. The 94% going to just um, 27%. Just trying to figure out here if it's, it's wheat, maybe it's cotton too. Um, <clears throat> but uh, definitely soybeans. And that's it. <clears throat> this is it. Corn, wheat, soybeans, cotton, rice, and peanuts. Those six. Okay, I just looked it up. Count for 94%. Another data point. Keep in mind. 60% of the crop subsidies from the three main farming programs, the regular insurance, the PLC, the ALC, go to the largest 10% of farms. Isn't it funny how these political class people, they're all worried about income inequality when you earn that fair and square in the free market, but yet when government steals money from the whole of the people to dole it out, they have no problem with subsidy inequality. 60% going to the 10% and 94% going to six, six um, crops, commodities that account for just 27% of the output value. That is what we have here. Now, what ties into this is furthermore, a lot of the farm subsidies aren't going to the, the farmers. They go to the landowners because a lot of the farms are rented now. Because again, you don't have the best practices on farming driving this. It's land usage. So, so what that does is, A, it drives people into the, to, to, to rent from, from other people. Then they get the subsidies, and then they create a monopoly to bid up the prices where no one could afford a farm. So then everyone has to either rent or join a corporate farm, and they can't have their own because government created – I mean it's no different than the housing bubble. This is the farming bubble. Subsidies and market distortions create bubbles. This is killing your you know, upstart. Young, new farmers, small business owners, they're getting crushed by it. And that is why, look, I've complained a lot about him. And, you know, he's not, you know, he loves him some, some uh, subsidies and ethanol. But Chuck Grassley is actually voting against this bill because what this bill, it doesn't lower the cap. Like, he wants subsidies, but he at least recognizes the fact that the way it's structured is it creates a monopoly for the wealthiest conglomerates. So he wanted to ensure that it doesn't go to the wealthy and be um, to close this loophole where they allow managers and first cousins. So you're not even farmers. You could be an urban city slicker that has investment and you get the subsidies. And this is how all these farming farmers also that are above $900,000 of AGI, that's the cap, get the subsidies. They have them going to them. It just doesn't go to them on their tax return. It just inflated the price of land. And then you have these conservation programs that are just unbelievable in terms of what they do. So basically, again, let's just go over this again. You have the main crop insurance program that's run through USDA's risk management agency Um you know, they spend like $8 billion or so a year, and that's the base insurance. So it subsidizes the premiums, pays for the premiums um, for the farmers. And again, they're monopolized by, by um, those six commodities. And get and by the way, just like with Obamacare and Medicaid, it doesn't go to the farmers. It goes to the freaking insurance companies. 
meaning it, it, it's it's venture socialism, the same thing. Like you don't have direct, you know, government run insurance. You have government funneling it to the cartel. Same thing here. Government funds it to the crop insurers. And then they keep going up on the premiums and then keep getting government subsidies. It's a vicious cycle. It's exactly like healthcare. So that's what that. And this bill makes no reforms. If anything, it expands more loopholes, expands more of this stuff. It makes it even worse. Um, so that's that's where we're holding. Then so then there's the agriculture the risk coverage, right? So that pays the subsidies per um if the revenue per acre falls below a certain benchmark. This is the price fixing. So they guarantee it's guaranteed income. It's not just not just the the subsidization for premiums, but I guarantee your income. Right? So this is beyond like healthcare where we subsidize your premium. Then we're going to guarantee your – imagine if we had a healthcare program also guaranteeing you income. So, um, you know, this program, again, covers a number of, of uh, commodities, and they spent several billion dollars on that. And then you have the price-loss coverage. Again, they invented this. I remember it was like yesterday we were fighting this on the 2014 farm bill. So then it pays them based on the price of the crop. So it's their both their personal revenue and then the, just the national price. If the price drops below a certain what they call reference price, what's the reference price? Whatever they set it at. <laughs> so they set the reference price as high, and the payout you know is is beneficial to them. And then you have the conservation programs. And by the way, all these programs Trump promised to cut in his budget. Remember how in the appropriation bills, every single bill that program that Trump promised to cut or eliminate, they expand? Same thing here. Same thing here. I'm just looking here to try to see where this is headed. You know, as I'm talking to you to see if there's any any news to bring to you on this, but you know, it's, it's going to pass overwhelmingly, you know, Grassley has at least one or two principles on this that he's going to oppose it with. But, um, but it allows them to grow industrial hemp as Mitch McConnell put in there. And it puts pet abusers. It like prosecutes people who abuse dogs or something. I mean, this is the type of stuff they put in the bill. What an embarrassment. What an utter embarrassment in this bill. Um, it's just just unbelievable here. Just reading this now. Um, so the, so the conservation reserve program. It pays farmers to take environmentally sensitive land out of production. So it says, hey, if you own this corner, you know, this part of your land is, um, eh, you know, it's, uh, it's sensitive. Don't, don't plant on it. We'll pay you to leave it dormant. So this bill increases the amount of land that is designated as such from 24 million acres to 27 million acres. So guess what? It basically tells these monopolies to go buy them up and you get government funding for being dormant. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So they're expanding that. It's been about $5 billion a year. Um, And you know, basically, it's this conservation stewardship program or the conservation reserve program, whatever it is. One of them, they say, well, if you steward it, if you do certain things on it, you get money. If you leave it fallow, you get money. They all go to the wealthiest farmers. And it further bids up the price of land, and it mismanages the use of land. But here's the funny thing about it. 
If you're worried about conservation, this is so counterintuitive because do you know what's bad for conservation? Having a government private crony insurance market circuitous scam to have people grow insane amounts of corn just because of the ethanol mandate and because of endless subsidies and you use up so much land that you wouldn't otherwise use without the government and then you complain about conservation and then you create a conservation program so these schmucks will get even more croniest monopoly payouts to be the stewards of those programs. And folks, this brings me to one final point. I want to come full circle. Yes, here at the Conservative Conscience, we love juxtaposition. We're going to now go back to jailbreak, prison reform, and tie into the farm bill. Like, what in the world? Again, I want you to understand not just the issues and the specific provisions and the specific politics, but I want you to understand certain principles in modern political science and what they use to screw us and how it kind of goes cross-sectional. We're often, you know, often they say, oh, the big business is pushing like deregulation or they want certain things or they're, you know, and, and, you know, you'd be surprised, but like, well, why would the businesses suppose, you know, support socialism? And really it's the current vendors for government that support bad policies because they're going to be the stewards of it. You know, like we saw this a lot with um, ethanol. Big oil hates ethanol. It's not true. It's small oil that gets hurt by it. But big oil, they created a whole speculator's market on the RINs credits so they earn money off of it. Same thing with the cafe standards. For the cars, the big car companies create, make money off of that. They pass it on to the consumer. So they'll just make money off of the social. That's what we call venture socialism. That's what we have in this country, more so than even in Europe, where it's just straight up socialism. So when it comes to security, whether it's border security, whether it's prison vendors, or whether it's military vendors, military industrial complex. Now, look, unlike these other things where government shouldn't get involved in and they have no business, it's not the job of government. These are the jobs of government, but you are going to have vendors, therefore, and you are always going to have cronyism. Now, sometimes it's a necessary evil and you know, there's certain maybe reforms we could do. But you know, one of the things that all this jailbreak crowd t- complains about are these private prison facilities, like this private prison business. They're like they're trying to create this narrative that they're locking everyone up in order to make money off of it. And now they're trying to apply a concept that's generally true that the vendors like to perpetuate themselves. Um, except here, it's not true because what's driving this mainly. I'm saying originally what what drove um, the locking people up was the public. Started with Reagan. It was the public wanted it because it was needed. But there's a great article we'll link to in show notes from the Tampa Bay Times. Why is a Florida for-profit prison company backing bipartisan criminal justice firm? Meaning, like, you'd think they'd want as many people in-house as possible. But again... Guess who is going to run the jailbreak programs and the home confinement, but not really run it, but get money off of running it? You guessed it. A bipartisan push in Congress backed by President Donald Trump to slow America's rising prison population. By the way, it's not true. It's shrinking, but whatever. Has a puzzling supporter, a Florida-based for-profit prison company. GEO Group, one of the country's largest detention companies, is publicly urging the Senate not to adjourn without passing the First Step Act a bill that seeks to shorten some federal drug sentences and reduce the likelihood inmates will end up back and behind bars. Yeah, it just waves a magical wand and reduces the likelihood. GEO's biggest competitor, CoreCivic, is backing the bill as well. On the surface, it's curious position for leaders of a $48.8 billion industry enriched by tough-on-crime policies that swept millions of Americans into lengthy sentences over the past three decades. But others see two companies well-positioned to profit if Congress goes through this reform. Federal business filings show Geo Group and Core Civics have aggressively expanded in recent years into another sector of the criminal justice system, post-prison rehabilitation. I'm not going to waste your time just reading it now. I want you guys to read it on your own. I'll link to it. But this is the point. They talk about, oh, conservation programs, subsidies, oh, regulation. Whatever, the, the, the incumbent powers in any given sector will always work with where the cool kids are in government. Wherever they see the political 
pressure going, they're going to go and, you know, make money off of it. So where the pressure was coming from a good place from the public because we needed tougher sentencing, they got in on that. If it's coming from a bad place, they'll get in, get in on that too. Just a very important lesson here. But the most important lesson is we need independence. That's why I commit to you as long as I have radiation of the drums in my vocal cords, I will continue to speak the truth because I just don't care about anything else. Send me your feedback as always. Thanks for your encouragement. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. 